If you're pregnant and want easy to understand facts about what's happening and why over the next nine months without having to rely on Dr. Google, then Dr. Shelley Rowlands is here to help you through. This is Nine Months Without Google. Everything from understanding genetic testing, how to know if your baby's the right size, to talking you through birth both ways. No more need for out-of-date books, no trawling through the internet, no helpful advice from well-intended friends, just facts in an easy to understand way. During this series, Dr. Shelley, with the help of me, Hanya, and guests who are experts in their fields or have experienced pregnancy themselves, will discuss and explain the essential aspects of pregnancy care. We've invited a couple of guests, as we usually do, to talk about their experience with childbirth, to give us a bit of a feel about how it's different for everyone and to hear some aspects of their birthing that they can share share with listeners. So I want you to meet Joanne. Hello. And Kate. Hello. Yes. Joanne and Kate and welcome. Hanya are yeah. going to give their um, stories. So maybe we'll start with you, Hanya. Okay. Give me a brief overview of your labour and vaginal birth. So I've had two children and both were born vaginally. Yeah. I laboured with my first child, uh, our son, for 12 hours. Yeah. And with my daughter, who was the second child, for 13 hours. Oh, okay. Well, that's not meant to happen. No, right? yeah. Well, you can explain that to her <laughs> why she was taking so long. But, but with both of them, I needed to be induced with prostaglandin gel on yeah. my cervix. Yeah. Um, I laboured with my son for about six hours, then my waters broke, and then about six hours later he was born. Okay. Uh, with my daughter, again, induction through the prostaglandin gel, because they were and both just, over. They were both overdue? Yeah, both overdue by about uh, 10 days. So with my son, I didn't have anything other than uh, the gas and uh, what was that injection they give you? Pethidine? Was it then or morphine? Oh, it would have been pepidine, actually. Okay. So it was quite natural. Um, but with my daughter, um, when it came time to have my waters broken, that's when I went, well, stop. I know this is when it's really going to start to hurt. Yep. That was my experience after the waters broke. We uh, had an epidural. Lovely. And she was born naturally with an epidural. So, yeah, they were my two births. Okay. What do you think you wish you'd known uh afterwards that you didn't know going in um i think look i i think i wish i um had of known a sort of a, a more information about all the the different stages even though i was told it's not until they happen to you they go oh well, what's happening next you do yeah, go into yeah. a bit of a state of panic yeah um but yeah, it's, I don't know, more knowledge on the whole process, perhaps, I wish I had have known, and not got it sort of by second-hand news. Yeah, do you think there's a bit of a focus on the pushing part of it and mm. that, that sort of stage yeah, rather yes. than that, all the time leading up to it? I totally agree. So when you'd go to the birthing pl- classes, um, it was all about when the baby's coming. But there was there's a good six hours or eight hours before that. Yeah, that you're not and I do remember having some Braxton Hicks, I think they were, and... Yeah. Am I in labour? Am I not in labour? Who am I ringing? What's going on? So, yeah, there was a lot of that going on. Okay. Did you receive any kind of gem advice? In retrospect, the best advice came from my obstetrician. Okay. <laughs> you get a lot of uh, information coming from everywhere. So I would say just focus on the information you're given by the um, obstetrician or the midwife or the people who know what they're talking about, to okay. be honest. 
Did you get anything that was really bad and really unhelpful? Oh, <laughs> you'll love this one. Okay. The, the, the bit of advice I got was um, you may need to have an episiotomy because you might rip in half if you don't have that, but be careful because they all cut you in a different way, so they leave a signature on your <laughs> vagina. No, I was told that by Seriously? other women. Yes. No. <laughs> Like the mark of Zorro. Yeah, so like you, if you got to see somebody else's <laughs> series of me, you'd know which obstetrician delivered that baby. Yeah, apparently. But have you ever heard of that before? So, of course, I'm petrified, thinking here comes the mark of Zorro. Yeah. It wasn't anything so, like that, of course. So just, just so we know, usually the episiotomy is cut. If you imagine a clock face, kind of towards the seven on the clock face, okay. if you need it, that's where it's done. And that's a universal thing, pretty much, so that the um, the tearing, if it happens, doesn't tear through to the anus. Can you imagine the folklore that's out there? It's awful. Do you have any single nugget of advice that you would hand down? Um, my single nugget is don't listen to all the things that your friends and the people who think they're giving you good advice tell you. Your journey's going to be yours. Yep. And just work with your birthing team and professionals, whether yep. it's your obstetrician if you decide to go that way or your midwife or whoever it is and you and your partner your birthing partner that's the plan you want to follow that's my biggest gem okay good advice yeah thank you honey no my pleasure (laughs) so joanne you're up hello (laughs) can i remember that far back you've had um a vaginal birth and a cesarean section i think that's right yeah um can you give us a brief overview of your vaginal birth it was about 12 to 14 hours of labor I I don't actually remember a lot of it, to be honest. That that happens, and for good reason, otherwise you'd only ever have one. (laughs) It is amazing, though, that you really do forget. You do forget, yeah. (laughs) It was all kind of a bit of a blur. Um, I remember going in possibly a little bit too early to hospital um, and a lot of waiting around, uh, not really understanding what stage I was at and people mm. flitting in and out and um well, how long you're going to be there for yeah how long you know yes. my husband reading the newspaper and me so getting annoying a, yeah <laughs> me getting angry at him because he was reading the Finn Review uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah so she was I had an epidural um and uh some stitches she was a very big baby you had a forceps delivery didn't yeah. you yeah can you tell me a little bit about that well, all I remember is that um, I, we expected her to be large and there was a lot of pushing and uh, stony silence at the end when she was delivered. Everyone mm. ogling her because she was so big. So a lot of people are scared about the forceps and yeah. putting the forceps on. And we've talked earlier in this um, podcast about using the forceps either because the baby's not progressing down the birth canal or there's a problem with the heart rate. So I think in your case, was it a problem that the pushing wasn't working i would suspect that yeah again that wasn't kind of really relayed to me either okay. during during the birth there wasn't a lot of information flowing backwards and forwards do you think that's because of the state that you were in at the time because you were in labor or do you think it was actually that there wasn't information that was coming backwards and forwards uh, or both you know well probably a combination of both you know i read up on via a couple of books there was a limit you know you knew the progression and you know in theory, but as Honey said, you didn't quite know where you were at. Mm. And, um, you know, the midwives and everyone was very busy flitting in and out and you kind of didn't understand what, what stage we were at. 
Um, it's almost the same as honey, actually. It's mm. interesting. Yeah. So I think understanding mm. the stages is really important. Oh, very much so. Do you, mm. So would you say that was the thing you wish you'd known going into the labour? Uh, possibly. You know, I'd had people say to me it was, an, you know, an amazing experience. But for me, it was just getting it done. <laughs> and what do you think was the best advice that you got before you got it done? Take lots of pads to the hospital. <laughs> Good one. Oh, actually, I agree. Okay. Everyone talks about delivering, but no one talks about the after bit. So I again, re- there will be a podcast on that. I remember going in with a pad, like a, a um, packet of pads, and the midwives just laughed at me. Like, well, that will last you, you know, half a day kind of thing. <laughs> well, right. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to bring lots in. I yeah. thought you were just supposed to bring, yes. you know, yeah. one or, you know, one or two. So, yeah. Yes. I would agree with that. <laughs> you get lists going in about preparing for birth, but no one gives you the list to come out afterwards. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, so we will hopefully do a podcast about what happens after birth in mm. that time, particularly when you're in hospital before you go home. But what was the worst advice that you were receiving? Oh, everyone tells you a horror story. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a common thing, don't you reckon? Yeah, oh, everyone yeah. loves yeah. a birthing horror story. Yeah. And because I was quite large... Um, Everyone, you know, was predicting um, I was going to give birth to a hippopotamus. Mm, um, <laughs> was she? Uh, yeah. Oh, he? Was she? She, she yeah. Was she? Uh, As in, not a hippopotamus. Was she large? Uh, nearly 10 pounds. So okay. Like, I had 9 pounds in one second time. Yeah. Around, so. <laughs> 4, 4.3. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty big. Well, what's your one bit of advice for people? Uh, take pain medication if you need it (laughs) because you don't realize how sore you you obviously can be yeah um and uh i had a couple of stitches as well so you i you know you feel a bit winded i wasn't expecting that um i don't know just there's again the after bit um is hard it's never described really Mm. i don't think yeah Mm. um and that's a bit where everyone, you know, all the experts have disappeared. <laughs> if you feel sore, take pain medication if it's offered to you because no you don't get a gold medal. That's Agreed. Right. Mm. Mm. Okay. Kate? Well, I, yes, I have four pajama births and I would actually say that they're all reasonably similar, which is interesting. Okay. Um, but I'm going to take one of them out because we had him in America. And okay, so it was yes. a completely different sort of system. But the three that we had here, I would say they were all almost identical in lots of ways. I was induced for all four, okay. um, but the three that we're talking about, I was induced for all three, uh, which started at 7 o'clock in the morning for every one of them, oh. and they were all born within about half an hour at around sort of 2.33 in the afternoon. Wow. And my waters were broken relatively, relatively quickly. So I would say about sort of 9 o'clock in the morning, somewhere around there. Yeah. And then I laboured uh, up to about five centimetres at I would describe it as really just having sort of period pain, um, but I was still able to, you know, talk talk during contractions and I was still on my phone, I was still doing bits and pieces. And then for all of them, I got to five centimetres and went from five to ten just like that. And I did not expect that. Like So that, for everyone, is the active phase. Yes, but that went really fast. You know, so I was expecting... Don't they say something like, you know, it's a, um, an hour for every centimetre, yeah. something like that? Yeah. Yeah. A, when I got to five centimetres, I was like, well, I've still got hours and hours to go. And then that last little bit went really, really fast. Mm. Um, and then the pushing stage was probably only about, say, 20 minutes, I'd say, with each of them. So 
Fast and Furious is how I would describe all of them, which is maybe good in some ways, but also really scary in other ways because I really wasn't expecting it to happen like that. And for it to be, um, yeah, that transition period, like during transition, I had no idea what to expect for that and that was quite overwhelming. Yeah, I would describe it as quite overwhelming. We didn't actually identify the transition period and that's worth saying that now. What is a common experience is that women, particularly women who don't have an epidural, um, when they finish the first stage and they get to the second stage, they become more agitated and more anxious and we call and they start saying things like, okay, I've had enough. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going home. Get me an epidural now. And that is usually transition. And um, so how did you feel at that point? Can I say I, I really genuinely thought I was dying? Like, yeah, okay. can I say that? Is that? Mm. Yeah, of course. I, in the sense of I've never experienced anything like it. So my only sense of reference was I must be dying because mm. I've never okay. experienced it just felt completely out of control. I felt completely out of control and I couldn't couldn't put words to what I was feeling. And so in my mind, I just kept going, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. It was, but that period then, you know, it was changes to the pushing part. Exactly. And, and then, then you've you got something else to control again. Exactly. Yeah, so exactly. That's exactly so it's what a, happens. a little section in there where it just went overwhelming. Overwhelming. And then we got to the pushing stage, which okay. felt a bit different. And mm-hmm. so, uh, do you think that would be the thing that you didn't know going in that you wish you had? Uh, about transition? Mm. Or was there something else? I, now having done it a few times, <laughs> <laughs> I would say actually that I I, uh, I wish that someone had been able to describe how to push effectively because there's a big difference. When you're panicking, which is how I felt, the midwives were amazing and they kept saying, slow it down and push deeper into your rectum like you're pooing yes and, and of course that is something that it well most of my friends all talk about the fact that it's just so embarrassing and how you know what's going to happen if it happens and it's just the one thing that nobody wants to talk about but then when you're in the middle of pushing they're saying do the one thing that you're actively trying not to do <laughs> that would be my advice if i'd done it again was to try to learn how to push effectively because it makes such a difference okay did you have any really bad advice um, I wouldn't say sort of overtly terrible. The one thing that someone said that was useless advice, so not terrible but useless, was um, she said try and conceptualise dilation. Like when you're in dilation, <laughs> when you're dilating, try and channel it and imagine it's like a rose opening. Mm. And I was like, maybe that would work for some people, but it just was kind of useless advice yeah. for me. And also I was told um, that subsequent labours that – you know, mm. oh, don't worry about it because they'll just drop out. And I wouldn't say that either. Okay, no, that's right. You know, I kind of knew what to expect, but I wouldn't say that the pain was less or that no. the experience was, you know, suddenly lovely and peaceful as opposed to the the um, yeah the first. It's, yeah, it's not, you would never say it's violent, but it's full on. And I remember when we got pregnant with my second, I said to my husband, okay, so when we're in labour this time, when I start saying I'm dying... That's where you say to me, it's okay, Kate, because, you know, you're close to transition, so this is positive because you're going to get to meet the baby soon and that way we'll manage that process a little bit more easily. So we get to the second, I get to transition, I'm going, I'm dying, I'm dying again. Mm-hmm. And he's going, no, no, Kate, remember, 
And I remember explicitly thinking, he has lost his mind because I'm still dying. Why is he not listening to me? So even though I had rationalized it in the moment, it still, it still took me by surprise. So yeah, yeah, so it's not bad advice. It was just that I would still take every birth as being a significant event. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Kate, you had an experience being a sport person, didn't you? I did. I did. Yes, I got. I was very lucky um, that I got to go and be the sport person for my sister-in-law while she had her baby. And I can honestly say it was the most incredible experience that I've ever had because it's completely different when it's not you that's having the baby. So um, being able to sort of watch her and the process, and particularly as the baby was coming out, was just amazing it really was incredible i loved it yeah every second of it and i had heard lots of you know like even my husband and lots of male friends that i had that said you know that it was a bit they were a bit squirmish or that there were the business end was a bit you know oh i don't know and so i kept expecting it to be like that and it really wasn't it was just incredible incredible yes to see Mm. incredible human yes come from outside from inside another human a lot of dads that i've spoken to um I feel weren't necessarily very connected with the pregnancy as such. Yeah. Not that they were disconnected, but just it wasn't real until the baby actually came out. And, yeah. you know, and that's when it all became real. Whereas I think for us, I think a lot living, of women say that actually, and mm. um, that is actually an interesting thing. So during the pregnancy, women tend to read more, research more, talk about things more, and men are like, mm, "Tell me what I need to know, and I'll be there." Yes. Mm. And that's a source of frustration for a lot of women because yes. they feel like they're very connected to the birth or they're thinking about the pregnancy. And even if you're not thinking about it all the time, if you kind of have to because it gets in the way of things and changes your life. Um, but men go about their life like they normally did. You know, maybe they need to learn to put up a cot. Yes. But they didn't have to do much more. And so it is often frustrating that they don't seem to be as involved or, um, you know, invested in it mm. during the pregnancy but like you say when they get to the birth yep. then of course things change they do they do have to be Kate you were saying that you were a support person for your sister-in-law was that with somebody else in the room as well yeah my brother I think yeah. that's a common thing too actually yeah. people mm. talk about having a support person for the support person yeah because <laughs> yeah. it's actually I mean you're in labor all day which is really hard but that person is there for that time usually as well yes yeah oh it is that's what I was about to say for um our first child our son it was just my husband and I, and it was, I, I you know, I, I could see that was uh, 12 hours was tough on him as well. Um, but of course. How generous women are. Uh, I know. I think <laughs> very generous. I'm, I'm my lip. I think it is a long time, but it's nothing compared to no, what they're going no. through. They're just sitting there. Oh, no, sorry, you, you haven't heard the other bit where I'm saying, so he couldn't focus on me as much as I wanted to because he was getting tired. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. But what I'm saying is with the second child, um, my girlfriend came in as well, and it was good because they could tag team. So when I'm saying rub, rub my back, but don't touch me. Did you experience that sensation of yes, do something but don't do that? Yeah. I actually you said know. that. Yeah. Rub my back and they were both there rubbing, just leaning backwards and forwards as my instructions yes. were. Don't rub touch my me. back but don't touch me. Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> that's, that's actually a bit, I, I think that's a common thing. And when you're in pain, you you have to concentrate on that one thing and unless the other distraction really gets you in there, it's just annoying to yes, have to do I, yeah. I remember actually that was actually a source of hilarity for us uh, afterwards was that um, he started patting my my head. And I go, 
do I pat my head? I'm not a dog. That's the difference between um, men and women in that sense because I experienced that when I was um, my sister-in-law's support person that I seemed to know what kind of what you were describing. I wasn't patting her, whereas my brother was, and yes. I could see it, and I was like, oh, and maybe it's because I'd been through it that I knew that I wouldn't want someone to do that to me so I wasn't trying to touch her I was much more sort of practical do you need something yeah do you want this or do you want that so maybe sometimes men don't know quite what to do because they've never experienced it and also I look I think a little bit of it is intuitive um, because like we're talking about the birth plan before you can't be on your birth plan I don't want you to pat my head, but I do want you to ask for the... You can't be that detailed. Exactly. So, no. And maybe that's where the midwife, who's with you all the time, is really, really helpful. Definitely. Because mm. they've had that experience before and they will know what's practical to help and to mm. be... Yeah, yeah popping you know, your pillows on. Yeah. So you just at the right angle kind of have some intuition about what that particular woman wants, whereas the partner will be thinking... You know, they, they come with a lot of stuff about how you normally want stuff done at home. Yeah, yeah. All that, all this stuff, trying to anticipate, okay, you know, what should I be doing here? And if I don't do it right, and I'm going to get into trouble tomorrow. <laughs> when I was doing the birthing classes, said that women who are labouring tend to fall into one or two categories, and it's based on how you would deal with pain generally. So they'll either, like, cry out and be quite, not dramatic, but, like, mm. you know, like, they'll be crying and whatever, whatever. Or you go the other way and you're like, just give me a second. I just need a second to deal with this. And you kind of go internally. Yeah, oh, that's yes. very true. And, and I, that really resonated with me because I tend to do that. I'm just like, just give me a second. You won't know until a woman gets into labour if she's really a hands-on person or a hands-off person. Yeah. Mm. At the end of the okay. day, that's what that's how I think of it is that, that's how I see it. Mm. People are either hands-on person mm. or hands-off person. So I was a big moaner. I've got it all the way through. Even oh, at the, at, the, at the pushing phase. Oh no, no, it was just focusing on that pushing. But the labouring, um, I that moaning was yes quite good for me. Yeah, and I think that's it wasn't quite, a screaming moaning. It no, was that sort of in guttural. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but yeah, it yeah. made me feel better. Yeah. Yeah, but do you think you were fairly silent during the pushing? A pretty silent, uh, apart from, uh, you know, that sort of groaning to yeah. push, like strain, a yeah. strain, strain noise, but no, um, but the moaning through all those sort of phases of, and I had my head in a beanbag with my bum in the air and rocking to yeah. side to side moaning and then saying to rub my back, but don't touch me. So <laughs> that was quite, that was quite about six hours of that. <laughs> I don't know, but that sort of the moaning, the, the vibration, I don't yeah. know. Nobody yeah. tells you though. No, it, it just, it's quite. Amazing how you become quite animalistic, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, yeah, no, Your body does what you do. Primal. Yeah, very primal. Very primal. <laughs> the other funny thing that I do remember um, after he was born, and again, I sort of imagined that before I had babies, that when they come out, you know, suddenly it's all just amazing and beautiful. But I needed some time just to process, like not even to process, just... I needed a second. And I remember yeah. specifically with our third that he was out and she, the obstetrician just kept saying to me, Kate, open your eyes. Like, open your eyes. Look at your baby. Open your eyes. And I was like, I can't. I just can't. I need a second just to regroup. Yeah, to regroup. Um, but I think that's interesting too that, you know, there's sometimes a, 
not a myth, but a, an expectation that You'll, they'll yes. just come out and everything you will just be yeah. glorious. And some women actually take a long time to kind of feel a connection with the baby after school, and that's really variable as well. Yeah. Um, I was just going back to the thing before about, um, you know, when you said you were going to, you felt like dying. This mm-hmm. is just something I was thinking about before, I think, also with you, Hanya. So that um, often when someone's in labour, they will be going through that out of control transition phase. And I often say to women, it's okay, this is normal and you're safe and the baby's safe. It's all normal. Yes. And they inevitably go, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like that. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I think that, that, and that's just something that I've learned over time, that if you can tell people what's happening is normal, it's yeah. not abnormal. Yes, mm-hmm. reassuring. They, they kind of feel like they can let go a little bit on And them. I think the that's language so is really important too, that you're safe. You're because safe. It, it, for me, it was that sense of I've never experienced this kind of pain before yes. and therefore I don't know what it is. Yes. And feeling unsafe, I wouldn't have conceptualised it like that in the moment, but now that you're saying that, if someone had used that language, it definitely would have felt yes. yeah, you're um, safe comforting to me. safe, it's normal. Yep. Now, finally, to finish up this week's podcast on labour and delivery, it's time for our regular segment, While I've Got You Here, Mm. and where I get a chance to ask the unaskable questions. Okay. So here's the first one. Okay. Firstly up, Dr. Shelley, what happens if I poo in labour? See? (laughs) No one wants to know about that, but nearly all women actually poo in labour during the pushing part of labour, and we, the people delivering the babies, don't even notice. Um, I always think it should be a source of pride if you have a poo because it means you're pushing in the right direction so you should get the participation medal for that because <laughs> um, it means you're really doing what you're meant to be doing. Oh, yes. So really, get over it. Yeah, mm, or have yeah. an enema. Okay. So we don't routinely do, they, do that. Do they? Oh, yeah, you don't routinely anymore, No, they right? used to in the old days. But yeah. Well, you can buy one at the chemist and um, uh, take that at home. So if it was something that you really felt anxious about, oh. some women do, you could do that before you have, um, or you could ask someone in hospital when you go there. But, but by and large, I wouldn't worry about it because everybody does it, and we don't even notice. Actually, I, I remember someone did mentioning they did mention that and feeling quite anxious about that. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel very anxious about oh, that, yeah. and I think that it's like even if you are told by you know your obstetrician or your midwives, you know we see it every day, we see it every day. I still think it is something that carries stigma that yeah. it's something that's so foreign to what mm. most of us yeah, you know you generally you don't have a poo in front of it, exactly yeah. and it's just hard to kind of reconcile those two things i remember explicitly going i'm so sorry if i'm doing it i'm so sorry yeah and the midwife's going stop talking about it. like just focus on what you're yeah. focusing <laughs> on that's right. like you know which was lovely it was a nice yeah, way to, yeah well mm. i must say that you know as a young woman or a woman that hasn't had a child, those that kind of thing is like nine out of ten important. Yes. Then after you yes. go through uh-huh. the delivery, yes. and afterwards you go, well, that's worth one out of ten. Yeah, totally. <laughs> in my worry, totally. in my worry sector. Yeah. Absolutely. You become less inhibited. Yeah, it's true. Okay. Okay. Now, the question everybody really wants to know is... Uh, how are you going to get my vagina back looking like it did before I had a baby? Doctor? Yeah. So <laughs> pretty sure that's something, cuts or tears, the repair of them, that's something that everybody's always really worried about. But, of course, that's completely understandable. Both of you ladies had that concern beforehand. I didn't have a concern, but I had I had an episiotomy. I, I, like, I, I wasn't thinking about it beforehand, but I did, I yeah. did end up having one. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I had an episiotomy for both as well. Yeah. In the business, fortunately, we say that the vagina is a very forgiving organ. Mm. Mm. 
and it heals incredibly well. So I have really seen some terrible tears in my time. And six weeks later, when they come back for the follow-up, you wouldn't even know that mm. occurred because it all heals really well. So the main thing for our listeners about the repair is to stop bleeding so the woman doesn't lose a lot of blood and to get all the anatomy back together again in the correct place. And women are always given pain relief for that time. They're given um, local anaesthetic or you might have an epidural and busy looking at your baby, maybe taking some photos with your support person or your partner. So you'll be really distracted during that time. Most women, however, do find that the pelvic floor has suffered a bit during pregnancy and labour and delivery. Would you say that? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And it takes quite a number of months and work with pelvic floor exercises to get it back together again. And that's really something that people should follow up with their um, provider, their health provider, when they go back for their follow-up check, which is usually around six to eight weeks. It needs to be checked again and make sure that's okay. Yeah. yeah. I must say I was surprised how, as you said, forgiving the vagina is after. Yeah. Mm. And, like, you really feel after you've had the baby, you go, well, that's it. How's <laughs> that ever going to go back into shape? But I don't know, by some miracle it does. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, women yeah, it's are incredible. incredible. Mm. Yeah. And also to um, accept the ice packs when they bring those in. Ah, exactly. Because <laughs> I remember the first time and they said, oh, would you like an ice pack? And I was like, no. Like, <laughs> where would I put that? <laughs> yeah. Just thinking about Imagine it. Imagine a tonic. <laughs> <laughs> That would be nice to offer. But, and then when she was like, no, you really want to take this, and I was like, okay. And then I was thinking, but but also cover it so that Doesn't you're not stick. putting it straight on. <laughs> that would be my other tip. Uh, but that made a big difference. Can I have another tip? Yeah. Can I go backwards? Yeah. The best advice I got in terms of delivery was um, a midwife who said to me, it's fine to have a, a bit of a plan or to have a, you know, to think about what you might want your labor to look like, but to not hold on to it too strongly because you just don't know how you're going to um, land on the day at the time that you actually go into mm. into labor. And it was such a eye-opener for me because, you know, if you turn up and you go into labor at 7 o'clock in the morning, well, then that's one thing. But, you know, if you're going into labor at 4 o'clock in the morning and for whatever reason you're absolutely shattered at that time in the morning, you may not, you may not have the resource to be able to do what you think thought you might be able to do during the day for instance no so i just think right. it was great advice just to say look it's fine to have a plan but to not get too attached to it yeah and um we actually we come, we talked about that earlier the yeah. other thing that i feel like is that um you know there's obviously a percentage that have an amazing experience it's very small it's an achievement but I, for me it was like it, it wasn't glamorous i just wanted <laughs> i just wanted the product <laughs> Thank you all for sharing your interesting stories and giving us such valuable insights to what it's really like on V-Day. We're looking forward to you joining us again on Nine Months Without Google. Please remember, all of the information you hear is of a general nature and you should always discuss your specific concerns with your healthcare provider.